welcome to Luxury On Air, where we explore the trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. Welcome to Luxury On Air. My name is Karin Segedi, and I'm delighted to have Nicola Girotto, CEO of Bali, for our new episode speaking about brand evolution. Nicola Girotto is the CEO of the 1851 established Swiss luxury brand Bali since April 2019. He has joined Bali in 2015 as Chief Operations Officer after a career with travel retail house, The Nuance Group, Italian fashion house, Convipel, and optics retailer, Convision. When naming Bali, one clearly thinks about leather and shoes. Today, the brand offers unique designs across shoes, accessories, and ready-to-wear in over 320 retail stores and 500 multi-brand points of sale across 60 countries. Not to forget a global e-commerce presence. Nicola, so happy to have you with us today. Very happy to be with you, Karen. Maybe as a first question, uh, Nicola, you have entered uh, the luxury industry after some very diverse experience. Um, what in luxury makes you still wake up in the morning full of energy and wanting to make a difference? I would say, first of all, these uh, are the people I have the chance to, uh, to work with. Um, such a passion, commitment, motivation, and this is really inspiring to, be a, to, be, to try to be a good leader. But also, particular to Bali, is the responsibility of a 171 years old brand with uh, such an heritage and history. I have to say that it makes you humble put some pressure uh, on your shoulder, such an history, but uh, gives uh, a ton of energy uh, on a day-to-day. And uh, finally, I would say um, the transformation. This is something that I really enjoy. And this is why I've been appointed uh, in Bali. This is what uh, excites me and uh, drives my energy on a day-to-day basis. Um, so adapting the model of this uh, reputable brand and to be relevant today and tomorrow is really what uh, what drives me and gives me uh, energy. So perfect. We were going to explore some of the points that you mentioned, the transformation, the digital and the history. Uh, but maybe let's start with uh, um, the, the appointment of uh, Luigi Villasenor, who you just announced recently as your new creative director for the spring-summer 2023 season. Um, you had a few years without anybody in this position. Is this a brand reinvention or a way to introduce the brand to new audiences? Yeah, I would say it's a continuation of the transformation. First of all, for the one that are not familiar with, uh, with Luigi Villasenor, Luigi is a, a founder, a creative director, and CEO of a brand that is called Root, uh, that has been founded in uh, 2015. This is an extremely successful brand, uh, a casual brand that was born in LA, in Los Angeles is seen as a rising star in this industry. And this is why I've been appointing him as, um, as creative director for Bali. So he will keep his position in route. Uh, and at the same time, will be the creative director of Bali. So, you know, Bali has been around uh, since 1851. So throughout these 171 years of history, Bali has been continuously changing adapting, but always remaining true to its core values. First and foremost, heritage and craftsmanship. Bali is a story of continuous innovation, uh, innovation in product and design, obviously, industrial innovation, 
Um, there are still some processes that are used in Bali, but also in the wall industry, uh, shoe industry that are that have been created by Bali. Uh, it's an history also of social innovation. It's an history of innovation in terms of communication, marketing, and so on. Um, finally, within these values, I would say that there is this continuous inspiration from art, design, architecture, and Bali has been known for collaborating with the greatest, from Gunther Sachs to Bernard Vilmo, Werner Bischoff, Malle Stevens, Le Corbusier. So this inspiration from art design, but also for all nature, you know, we were born in Switzerland and nature has been always uh, integral part of, um, of our brand. So it's really about remaining true to our core values, evolving. So I see this nomination more as uh, a renewal than a reinvention. And I see in Luigi and his appointments, the capacity to bridge between these values, uh, our heritage, but also a younger audience. Because sticking only to what we know for Bradley for this heritage uh, will not make it relevant for this younger heritage. So I see him having a capacity to translate our heritage in a much more modern take with an incredible eye. Um, he has a modern approach. In, with his own brand, he has been building uh, the contemporary wardrobe, bridging, uh, and this is really what I liked, um, between streetwear and formal wear. He's also engaging very authentically with a community that has been building around him. So uh, the fact that he's able to decode uh, in a modern way for our existing audience, but also for a new audience, has been fundamental in this choice. And um, when we first met, and I've been observing how much our heritage our craftsmanship has been fundamental for him. And this is why we decided to, to join for. So I see it as an evolution, a renewal, more really than a reinvention of the brand. Very, very interesting. I mean, is he, will he be working on the ready to wear uh, collection or will he be able to touch the shoes and, and uh, the, histor or the historic part of Bali as well? Oh, you know, he's a creative director. So basically he's, he's in charge of Bali's image from its collection. Uh, so shoes, accessories, ready to wear, uh, but also the tone of voice of the company. So how we engage and communicate uh, outside, of, uh, outside of Bali. And how does the collaboration between uh, the artistic director and the CEO work? Easy? It has to be. We chose each other. We decided to engage and to work together because we have a common vision. Uh, about what we like, what we want to do with this brand, uh, respecting its heritage, as I said, but also bringing it to, uh, to, uh, to the newer customer. So it's a very interesting relation, the relation between the CEO and, um, and, uh, and the creative director uh, that uh, needs to touch multiple aspects from obviously creativity uh, to also to uh, financial aspects. And uh, I have to say that um, I am blessed because he's uh, uh, knowing that he's uh, the founder and today CEO of, uh, of a brand, Rude, I would say that it's a very different, I guess, uh, conversation than I have with a typical creative director. 
he knows perfectly what uh, financials are. Uh, if I talk about working capital and so on, no need to explain. He knows what it is. So it's a very interesting and easy, uh, easy conversation that I have with him. Absolutely. Sounds like a fantastic collaboration. Can't wait to see this new collection. And Nicola, you spoke about uh, getting into I mean, uh, winning new consumers and in, in maybe in some more younger generation about streetwear as well. Uh, who is typically the Bali consumer now and what has changed over the years with the consumers and what is the consumer of the future? Yeah, uh, so, you know, with 170, 171 years of history, uh, it's a history of constant change and constant change of our customers. But however, uh, even if it's difficult to define what is a typical customer, but what we, what we note is that um, regardless of location, age, uh, our customers are interested in timeless designs, uh, much more than passing trends. Uh, they want to be truly inspired by our history, our genuine history. We are one of the few brands proposing such an history, a wealth of history, and they want to be inspired and they want their product, our product, to talk to them and to tell this, uh, these stories. Obviously, I mentioned quality and craftsmanship is what we are known for. Uh, but also, there is something that is important, is our pioneering spirit uh, and the drive for, for innovation. Uh, for instance, and to give you an example on, on product, we are one of the very few to master the Goodyear construction on rubber sole. I'm talking about shoes and men's shoes, so which is bringing to formal men's shoes an unbeatable level of comfort and lightness. Uh, more recently, we have been introducing lines with regenerated leather, an innovation uh, aimed at answering uh, to the sustainable aspirations of our, of our customers. So clearly the appointment of Luigi as creative director is, is an example of this continued innovation because it has been appreciated as the bold choice uh, from by the industry, um, and that demonstrates really the ability uh, to evolve. So, to further address the rapid changes of the industry that we observe on a daily basis, we we also have been focusing on hearing more and more uh, from our customers through different uh, methods, from focus groups, research. Uh, really trying to understand what their aspirations are um, and also to be able to appeal a younger and a more digital uh, community. Yeah, because I think digital is, is in the heart of your strategy. Huh? Rather than saying that digital is supporting the traditional brick and mortar business, you really try to put digital first and, and, and start with digital. I mean, how did, you, how did you change this mindset within the company and, and why is digital so important for Bali? If you, if you look yourself, Guy, in the way today you are informing, informing yourself about the brand, uh, what you will be doing, you will take your mobile phone, open Instagram, and uh, searching for the brand. Or, How did you know? How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> or you will, because this is what all of us we are doing, or you will go to Farfetch, net porter uh, and so on, to get, to get informed more than going to a print or a work in the traditional way. So I think that our habits have drastically changed. And if you think about the tools that we are using to get inspired, to shop, uh, most of these tools were not existing 10 years ago. 
So if we think that digital is only a supplement to our business, I think that we are, we are wrong because digital right now touches absolutely all areas uh, of the business. And it's absolutely critical to align the digital strategy across all functions to, attract, to align all these, uh, these touch points. So uh, we absolutely need to evolve in a direction in which we meet uh, the customer needs and where we bridge the online with a brick and mortar. Uh, I do not say that brick and mortar will disappear. I don't believe at all. I think that brick and mortar of the store uh, will see its role completely changing. Um, it's not only a simple uh, place of transaction, uh, but it's a place for engagement. Engagement to understand the brand, to understand its core values. And this is something I'm always speaking about: the value of the brand and as how important this is for luxury brands to properly embody through the way you are products, uh, teams, and so on to embody this value. So we have been really rethinking our our stores in order to uh, in order to to reflect the store of the of the future. But as you were saying. Uh, Digital has been at the heart of our strategy, uh, also because we have been forced. <laughs> I think that uh, you know uh, we have been living most of our lives uh, online in the last uh, two years and a half. So really, really we had to adapt uh, in order to continue to trade and to accelerate also toward this digital transformation. So uh, to give you examples, uh, many business is made of retail, uh, but also wholesale. And, um, and when I say retail, it's retail brick and mortar and retail online, but so roughly two thirds of retail and one third of wholesale. So to engage during the pandemic, there were wholesale partners. They were traditionally coming to our showroom, but because of the pandemic, they were not able to come and to, uh, to, uh, to experience our collection and to buy our collection in our showroom. So we, have been a, we had to adapt very quickly and we have been proposing to our B2B partners virtual showroom so they, they experience our collection completely virtually 100 virtually and they've been uh, uh, placing their orders uh, virtually which for us has been completely new and before the pandemic i thought that it would have been impossible to sell 100 of uh, a wholesale collection uh, virtually we have been also presenting to the press to the journalists to the fashion press our collections digitally so we had to we had to adapt Obviously, our e-commerce presence has been expanded strongly through uh, additional digital platforms, marketplaces, uh, e-franchisee business. Uh, so we have been growing very strongly, especially in China with Timor and especially on the, on the luxury pavilion, but also on JD, uh, JD.com. So this is a constant adaptation uh, that we had to, uh, to operate during these years of, of pandemic. We had to enrich also the dialogue because not being able to, uh, uh, to engage with our customers physically in store, engaging virtually with, uh, with them through storytelling, social media, but also the integration online and offline has been uh, absolutely fundamental. And this is something that is staying. All of, all of what I said is staying after the pandemic. Clearly, we're not coming back to the initial model. So this online offline integration is, uh, is fundamental, for instance, with live streaming, but also clienteling that seamlessly goes from in-store to, uh, to social media, for instance. We are engaging with our customer on multiple touch points. 
Uh, and uh, this is paying off. We have been observing, for instance, that during the, the pandemic, the countries that have recovered the fastest are the countries that have the best practices in terms of integration between online and offline, and that had the clienteling capacity uh, to be the most developed. I've been to Chicago recently and realized that there was a real real and that's the you know the the fashion um, uh, pre-owned um, online uh, marketplace had a store it's it's a, it's a 10th flagship store in Chicago in the magnificent mile and I went in I said wow and it this to your point looks like an experience uh, with kind of pays and, and things happening what is your vision of the store of the future how important is the store in retail business still going forward I think the store remains absolutely fundamental to experience the brands. Uh, uh, so I see uh, I see digital and 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 brick and mortar to be absolutely uh, complementary to each other. And uh, we have been thinking deeply to the evolution of the of the store, and we have been also listening to uh, to the future generation. And uh, for instance, we have been creating in in Bali. Uh, uh, a shadow board, uh, so the Bali shadow board that is made on this board composed only of Gen Z, representing each of the department. And we have been discussing with them and working with them on the ideal store, uh, the ideal retail setting in the future. And this is clearly giving insights and valuable insights um, in redesigning our retail strategy and creating stores that really reflect the expectation of a younger customer. So, uh, but we cannot create in mind, we cannot create stores and design stores uh, anymore having transaction in mind only. Uh, this is a place to discover brands, uh, its heritage, its values. So this is why we are designing uh, in these days store with modular fixtures and furniture. Uh, so they can be easily transformed uh, from a selling space to, for instance, an entertaining place where we can hold cultural events, we can hold talks, panel discussions, art exhibits. Uh, this is what we have been uh, doing recently. Uh, for instance, in stores in Milan, in our new store, flagship store in Milan, we have been having a, a, a talk with uh, uh, the ambassador of our foundation, the Bali Picardo Foundation, uh, that engage with our customers, our audience, about the initiatives of the brand uh, reg regarding sustainability and our specific initiative in the uh, Everest region, uh, where we have been supporting local communities in preserving the mountain environment through uh, collecting trash in this, unfortunately, very polluted area that are that is the base camp of the of the Everest. So we are engaging with our uh, with our clientele, telling more about the brand, telling about the values of uh, of the brand. We are also rethinking about where we want to locate our store. Uh, so as I'm saying that we don't want our store to be only transactional. Uh, this also impacts um, the location of our store, and we don't want our store anymore to be in luxury streets that are only a succession of luxury shops. So to give you an example, we have relocated our store from Madison Avenue in New York uh, to Meatpacking. Meatpacking district, which is a much more vibrant district, 
that I consider to be a hub, a hub for culture, art, entertainment, food, and shopping, and shopping not only luxury shopping. And this is something that our customers appreciate a lot, to have brands that are associating in places that reflect them well, and not only because there is a succession of luxury shops. So this is also impacting uh, our retail strategy and how we want our distribution to be in the future year. So there is uh, absolutely uh, complementary roles between digital and, uh, and, and physical. Um, it needs to be completely seamless for the customer. Obviously, I will not talk about all the omni-channel experiences. I think that now it's behind us and everybody proposed that. Uh, to the customer, but uh, we really need to think about what the store can bring more to than, than, than the digital. And I think that this is about talking about the brand, like talking about its values, uh, the service, the level of service, obviously, that needs to be uh, at absolute levels uh, on all touch points and in particular into, uh, into our stores. Mm. Yeah, and, and you spoke about uh, Gen Z and their, their interest in sustainability. Um, one aspect of sustainability is, of course, the sharing economy. I mean, we see more and more interest in, in well, in buying a pre-loved, as they call it, pre-loved bag, a pre-loved car, pre-loved shoes, uh, maybe shoes being a bit more complicated than, than anything else. How do you see the role of, of, of luxury in this um, sharing economy? On this one, I like to add that um, they are also placing more and more emphasis on the impact on the environment that... Uh, that the production of the goods has. So these are all good things and that they are not exclusive, mutually exclusive. And you know that our brand philosophy is really rooted in, in creating products of high quality and, and timeless design that aims at durability and, and longevity. So to come back to your point regarding the second-hand market or renting, this is something that we are observing. Uh, for the time being, we have not found uh, a model that satisfies us, but I'm not pushing back at all. Uh, this is something that we are looking. I'm very interested right now in circularity, uh, how we can make things circular. But I think that our younger customers are also very interested about the purpose of the brand. Uh, that is not only, only profit, but also what is the mission of the brand? And we really want to, to engage with our customers on another level than simply our product. But I come back to the point that we are making our value. So I briefly talked about the Balipic Outlook and the Balipic Outlook Foundation. This is something that is important for us, that is an illustration of the commitment of the brand on sustainability. Uh, so this is an example of how we engage with our, our customers. Uh, what is true for our customers is also very true uh, for, our, for our employees that are looking for their brands, uh, a level of uh, engagement uh, that they can be proud of. And so this is why we, have, we are hosting regularly um, panel talks, panel discussions with executives and uh, personalities across very different industries in order to grow our people, to grow our employees, and especially our young, that are very uh, uh, keen about learning uh, what's happening in other industries. Uh, so we have been touching, for instance, uh, sustainability matters, leadership matters, uh, inclusivity and, uh, and diversity matters, and so on and so on. So 
The aspirations of, uh, uh, of our customers and employees are going really beyond uh, products, uh, much beyond. I understand your point regarding the second-hand economy and how it's evolving, but really this value aspect to me is extremely uh, is, is crucial that we are uh, uh, tackling this in a, in a proper manner and that we are engaging as a brand on different level and especially on this value level. Yeah, so I see that you as a CEO, you want to be part of the solution and not of the problem because that's when we last spoke, you mentioned that yeah. every CEO should be part of the of the solution and it's not always easy huh, to, to, to be in the right direction in this area. No, this is, this is, a, this is a challenge. It's also an opportunity. I, listen, I think that... Um, as we speak, uh, we cannot ignore the situation. Maybe 10 years ago, uh, some ch were challenging at the time, but right now I think that uh, nobody that is reasonable can challenge a situation. And uh, the problem that we have, the climate problem that we have, and the, and, the, and the climate problem that all of our industries have, and in particular, the fashion industry. The fashion industry is one of the most polluting industry uh, so at the same time, we all aspire to a cleaner economy. Uh, so we all need to step up <laughs> to be courageous and also to take um, ownership of the social and uh, environmental impact of our business. So it's absolutely fundamental to be evolving um, and on our operations to reduce our impact and to reach ASAP, the, the net zero. Um, so this is in that sense that I want to be part of the uh, part of the solution and not be part of the problem, because this is not only about being more sustainable, to decrease a bit your impact, it's really to go toward to this, to this net zero. Um, so in Bali, this is something that is a transversal mission across the company, uh, where everybody plays its, uh, its part, its role, we started back in, when I just been appointed in 2019. Uh, we started first and foremost with, with an assessment, so to understand where we are. And also we have defined some commitments. Now we are really focusing our energies on improving our production because we know that this is one of the areas where our impact is, a, is, a, is the highest. By the way, to determine our impact, we have been giving ourselves some uh, science-based targets. So we have quantified uh, where our CO2 emissions are, giving ourselves targets and uh, have shared a roadmap in order to improve our CO2 emissions. Um, and we are focusing on materials, obviously. Uh, materials is, a, is an important component of the CO2 emissions in our industry. And we are focusing on uh, including more and more uh, sustainable materials in our collections. So two years ago, when we started, we were focusing on, and it was a, the focus of the industry at the time, we were focusing on capsules, on sustainable capsules. Uh, now it's about being sure that in our collection, in all our collections, the share of sustainable materials is, high, is as high as possible. And we gave ourselves some targets to be at 80% of sustainable materials or what we call materials belonging to the preferred material list. Uh, so 80% by the horizon 2025. Uh, today we are at 
And season after season, we are growing. Uh, this number has been uh, has been already growing. I'm short-term, I'm giving myself a target of 50% in the coming seasons. So this is where we are making where we are making the change. Very, very interesting. I mean, sustainability is uh, something that is close to your heart and, and one can feel and, and, and hear it. Okay. Um, maybe a couple of questions on that. Um, so recently I bought a, a dress that is uh, a recycled from pets. My latest watch that I bought has a, a bracelet that is not leather, but it's a grape skin. And as well, um, not only recycled, but recyclable material. Um, you mentioned that you're, you're giving, uh, you want to give away the leather um, rest to, to use it differently. Do you already use leather alternatives and uh, what kind of material do you use in, 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 um, in order to have uh, sustainable materials? So we have a, we have a, a department of, uh, of uh, material research. So we are constantly looking at new materials uh, that are, we are including in our, in our collections. Um, so for instance, we have uh, yeah, innovative textile, textiles brand of uh, alpaca with PAT yarns. Uh, that is made from plastic bottles, uh, but also we are using uh, dead stock fabric. We are now dyeing our lasers um, with using vegetable dyeing. Um, but to come back to your question about leather, uh, this is a topic that is very controversial. Uh, and I would say that first and foremost, the leather is a byproduct of the meat industry. So by definition, this is a circular product because this is something that should not be used by our industry will be probably thrown away. So it's all about uh, how you deal with it and how you, um, and what are the chemicals that are used and how they are recycled. Uh, so it, obviously animal welfare is, is very important and we, we need to, to make sure that there is transparency and there is also traceability from uh, leather to slaughterhouse. So this is something that we are working on and we gave ourselves also objectives, objectives on um, traceability and see-through. But to come back on your, your question uh, regarding alternative to leather. So why I think that leather is a very durable and, and sustainable product, uh, we obviously looking at alternatives and there is no taboo. Uh, I've been asked this question. <laughs> Uh, and it was a person that was almost sorry for us saying, oh, you are known for leather. So what will happen to Bali in the future if leather is not accepted anymore by the customer? And my point is that I was making earlier is Bali is an history of evolution. Bali is an history of adaptation. We have 170 years of history and we have been through period uh, in our life as a company where there were scarcity of leather. And this scarcity of leather has generated a huge creativity to invent new processes, new techniques, new designs to replace leather with other materials. So there is absolutely no taboo. I think that we have to evolve according to the evolution of the society. For the time being, I think that certain of our customers reject leather and we need to provide alternatives, but most of them uh, do not. And leather is a, is, a, is, a, is a sustainable material. So we are using regenerated leather. We are also testing some uh, vegetable leather, but also these new materials also 
putting some question marks. Uh, so I will not enter into the detail right now. Maybe it's not the topic, it's too detailed, but you know, between using an something that is existing, leather, or creating a new material from scratch, what is the best? Um, I have my point of view right now. But however, I told you, there is, uh, there is no taboo. And uh, what the history of Bali is teaching me is that uh, uh, you should be continuously adapting. And if at one point we need to move away from the leather, this is, uh, it, could, it could be an alternative, but not for the time being. Understood, understood. Um, thinking about what the discussion that we had before on the, on the pre-owned market, uh, new cu customers, um, what we've seen is an amazing, uh, in, the, in the art industry, uh, amazing results of Sotheby's, Christie's, Philips in all their auctions. Why? Because to our point earlier, to the move of digital. I mean, one of the auctions of, of Philips, we've seen 400 persons in the room and 2,300 bidders online. Of course, and Christie's and Sotheby's have um, made public that almost half of their audience is a new audience who have not bought before. So really expanding uh, the consumer um, uh, uh, possibilities because of uh, new ways of doing business. And thinking about the watch industry where now that the pre-owned market is so important, the primary market is benefiting as beneficiary as well because some watches are really gaining so much value in the secondary market so that they're gaining value in the primary market and, and, and global demand is, um, is increasing. How do you see the, this pre-owned market having an influence on the fashion industry, luxury and industry and Bali in essence? You were, you, you were talking about um, how the um, selling houses like Christie's and have been impacted by, by, by digital and I'm, you're referring for sure to metaverse, NFT and, and so on. So on, on this specific one, I think that uh, on all the evolutions, we should not be pushing back and I'm not pushing back at all but I want to do it in a way that is meaningful for the customer, customer or stakeholder. Because what I observe right now is a trend that is uh, to rush. Uh, and uh, I feel that there is a lot of marketing gimmick in our industry right now on, on NFTs. Uh, but this is something that I'm looking very closely uh, with the team. And we want to, to do something that will be meaningful for the customer. Uh, right now, honestly, to propose an NFT uh, a digital twin of one of our product on a metaverse where we don't know where it will be used <laughs> because uh, this is not that it's right spread right now. To me, it's marketing gimmicky and I prefer to stay where for the time being. However, uh, we are looking at that very closely and what are the consequences on our industry? We have been, and Bali is, is one of the founding members of the Lifestyle Competence Center. It's a group uh, in Ticino that puts together the academic world uh, Lugano um, University, uh, also brands, so Bali, Guess, and other brands, but also uh, tech companies, Microsoft. And we are all working together to, to innovate. And um, we had different events, and one of the events that Bali is a, the main sponsor, it was hosting last year, uh, is a Fashion Innovation Award. And during this Fashion Innovation Award, we were asking companies to pitch about uh, augmented reality and digital fashion. And it was very interesting to see what certain startups were proposing in terms of uh, digital fashion innovation. And I think it is very relevant. Um, one of the startups that I thought was, was brilliant was to say, 
But there were lives are evolving, physical lives, but also digital lives. And then we want also a different representation in our digital lives and proposing items that were purely digital and how to be creative and to propose digital garments, uh, digital clothes for your life in the metaverse. So I don't know if this is something that will be ready for tomorrow, but it's just some things that we are looking very closely that I find particularly interesting. And again, we are looking at it, but it has to be meaningful for our audience. And uh, we will be proposing something um, when we will be ready to, to do so. For the time being, we are looking very closely. To come back to, uh, to the last part of your question regarding the, the second hand, also, this is something that, uh, that we are trying to integrate in our model that we have not been integrating properly. I think that you have read also all the questions that uh, these new models, these second-hand models have in terms of uh, 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 sustainability or their financial model. Uh, so also on that one, I don't really have a, uh, a solution but what, what I'm convinced about and what I'm working right now about is that these issues cannot be tackled on your own. You need to have to create a platform and to work all together, different brands together, and not only brands, but you need to create an ecosystem around you in order to tackle uh, these issues. And this is what something that I'm work, working right now. It's premature to uh, to. Uh, to to talk about right now, um, but I'm trying to create here uh, in Ticino an ecosystem in which we can work on circularity. And I don't believe that circularity is a viable model as a brand in its own, but it might be viable when you work all together and trying to build this platform. Oh, that makes so totally sense. I think everything sustainable should be uh, an ecosystem and a collaboration which is great because now the industry is moving in the, into that direction and I think it's fantastic. So you mentioned Ticino uh, quite often. Of course, Valley is in the headquarters in Ticino, the, known as well as the Fashion Valley. Is the made in Switzerland or Swiss made uh, a, a positive selling point for you? Uh, for, for two reasons, it's fundamental. So first of all, we manufacture uh, an important part of our production in, uh, in Switzerland, but not all, because we simply, we, we cannot physically, it would not be doable. We don't have the capacities to do everything in, in Switzerland. But this is absolutely uh, fundamental for two reasons. The first is the attributes that are associated to, uh, to Switzerland are extremely positive. And the brand benefits from these attributes, from our Swissness, from our Swiss origin, but also from our made in Switzerland. We produ reproduce in Switzerland between 150 and 200,000 pairs of shoes in Switzerland, in Castellano, uh, where our headquarters is. Um, so these positive attributes are essential for, uh, for the brand. And we really want to stick to the made in Switzerland, even if this is something that financially uh, it's not making most sense, you will tell me. But however, uh, this is also, and this is the second reason, the know-how uh, that is absolutely fundamental to, uh, to maintain. It takes between five and six years to train our artisans, and we have roughly 100 artisans in our uh, in our factory, in our atelier in uh, in Castellano. And uh, this is 
a know-how that I feel the responsibility, I feel the social responsibility to maintain, to maintain here in Switzerland, because there is this tradition of shoemaking uh, of Bali, and uh, it's fundamental to maintain it. Um, you know, I was telling five to six years to train an employee, to train an artisan. Uh, it requires for to produce a shoe like the, the script shoe that is our man dress shoe uh, with a good year construction. It requires more than 250 steps. And most of these steps are manual steps. Uh, so the production in Switzerland is, uh, is key to me. And if you also observe what has happened recently with all the global turmoil, lack of visibility that we have on our markets and its evolution, uh, to have also a production that is closer to you uh, is definitively uh, a plus as you are more flexible and able to react uh, swiftly. So the Made in Switzerland really embody our philosophy, uh, where quality and craftsmanship are paramount. Uh, and this is something that I absolutely want to, uh, to maintain. So I'm happy to hear that, that Switzerland is an alternative uh, to Milano, Paris, or London, which is not an intuitive first statement in the fashion industry. No, you know, for, for us, it's, a, it's also a, um, an important point of differentiation. You have many Italian brands, you have many French brands uh, in the luxury. You don't have that many uh, watch industry apart, obviously, but in the fashion, uh, you don't have that many. So, and also it's, it provides certain attributes that are different to brands belonging to French or Italian groups. You have this uh, quality of craftsmanship is something that you associate immediately uh, to Switzerland. Uh, innovation also, uh, but also a certain respect for uh, environment and people. I think that the way there is some uh, responsibility in uh, the way uh, Swiss uh, have been operating their business uh, and uh, this is also something that reflects on the on the brand, on the Swiss brand. So, if you you know ask to a, a Chinese customer uh, or you, an American customer, what are the attributes uh, that they will associate with Switzerland? They will come immediately with a very positive attributes. Uh, so this is something that is interesting and it is a point of differentiation for for us. Uh, so I see that I think that the, the, the values that are associated with uh, Switzerland uh, go pretty well with a modern definition uh, of luxury, which is not about showing off, uh, which is not about accumulation, but more about understatement, but more about respect, respect for people, respect for environment. I put back the Swissness really at the um, at the heart of my strategy because i think this is a unique and uh, very positive differentiation point such a positive note and i, I like to end the podcast on, on, on the brand evolution and on this very positive note thank you so much nicola this was a fascinating discussion around Bally's brand evolution and we really cannot wait for the new collection from your artistic director ruigi villa senor coming out later this year for the spring summer 2023 collection thank you so much Thank you very much, uh, Karin. It was really uh, a pleasure uh, spending this time with, uh, with you today. And uh, appointment is taken for September 22, where we'll show our fourth collection with Wigivia uh, Senior. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Luxury on Air with Karin Segeti and Felicitas Morhart. 
This podcast is provided to you by Deloitte Switzerland and the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a five-star review. If you're keen to stay up to date on what's trending in the luxury industry, don't forget to subscribe. As always, you can find more information about the current episode in the show notes. We wish you all the best. Until next time.